This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we're speaking with PJT Partners banker Don Cornwell on the NBA's Big Trouble in China, the fundamentals of owning a sports franchise, and the growing business of gambling. That is coming up in just a few minutes. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. And let's start with an OMG moment. The Dodgers have been eliminated by the Washington Nationals, and the way it was done is unbelievable. Well, up 3-1, to one, Clayton Kershaw on the mound. In the eighth. In the eighth, back-to-back home runs. Thank you very much. Grand slam and extra innings, and all of Dodger Stadium just in shock that once again this team that so much success in the regular season just can't get over that hump. Yeah, and a team that spends yep. so much, right? If, if you look at the last 10 years or so, since the Dodgers have sold, so, so not quite 10 years, this team has spent a lot of money. Very consistently, the number one, if not, uh, you know, top five, if not number one uh, in the league, and they have been unable to, 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 to get that final step. I mean, it, listen. Clayton Kershaw is going to make the, he's going to make the Hall of Fame. He, he's going to he's going to be in Cooperstown. But we could have kept that moment that happened in that game five because that was unbelievable. For uh, Charlie Steiner, who calls the Dodgers games, and I was listening to it floating back and forth as I was coming in, listening to it, and Steiner it sounded like he was at a funeral. <laughs> I mean, it was. Well, that's what it must have been like. It now, had yeah. to be. You know, he said it was probably the worst Dodgers well, it's loss. A, it's a double hit. Imagine if you're a Dodger fan. Yeah. You're up 3 1 in the eighth. If that's the regular season and even the playoffs, you're like, all right, I got to beat the traffic and go home. Right. <laughs> yeah. But it's the playoffs. So you're like, I want to see him celebrate. I'm going to stick around. So now you've stayed late and you're stuck in the traffic and your team lost. That's why it sounds like a funeral. Triple header. Yeah, that's, the Dod- a, that's <laughs> as bad as it gets around Dodgers. The Dodgers had the best record in the National League this year. They set, I believe, a Major League Baseball record for attendance this year as well. By the way, salary cap this year, you know, the, the Dodgers spent $200 million. It was, the, it was the fourth most in baseball. If you look at the teams who are still alive, as we tape this right now, you have the Yankees, 218, $218 million, number three. You have the Nationals, $168 million, seven. Astros, $168 million, nine, And then way at the bottom, in dead last, number 30 on 30 teams, the Tampa Bay Rays, $64 million. Well, you know Fox would have loved Yankees and Dodgers. Yeah, that's where I thought it was going. Well, that's where a lot of people thought it was going. Now, you're kind of, if you're a television executive, you need the Yankees, and then you need six or seven games. It's not so much the opponents anymore. Just get me the Yankees, So, because just like Howard Stern, Half the people watching will love, half the people watching will hate, and then you have it go six or seven games, and you can make your money. Moving on to the quagmire of the week, and probably the quagmire for many months to come, the NBA and China. It continues. 
at least it continued with a basketball game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some semblance yeah. of normalcy That's today, the news actually. of the yeah. day. We didn't know if this game was going to be played. They're, they're not being broadcast in China. The sponsors have all been removed. Uh, the, the pictures around the arena in Shanghai were removed. You just didn't know. The players didn't know. The league didn't know. But the Nets and the Lakers walked onto the court they bounced a ball. They shot the ball. They played a game. The Nets finished with more points in the allotted time. And that, that was the story. There wasn't much else there, which is a win for the NBA. And people showed up, which I think yeah. was another yeah. big question mark, whether this game was going to happen and there was just going to be nobody there. Uh, the, the crowd wasn't fully, fully packed, but it was a pretty decent-sized crowd. Um, they stuck around to it the end. Like yeah, it looked like an NBA game. Yeah, it looked like an NBA game. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. the best thing you could say. Yeah, it looked like exactly. an NBA game. Yeah. But what was amazing when you watched the game that was aired on NBA TV was that usually you'd see sponsorships all over the place, on the court, whatever. Pretty much everything was wiped clean. Only the NBA logo was on the court. Yeah. That, yeah. that is amazing. Yeah, I think moving forward, one of the major questions about kind of the, the what's going to happen – when, when all the dust settles on this is all those sponsors, are they gone forever? Are they just gone for this series? These two basketball games is the, is the broadcast blackout that is happening right now in China. Is that just these two games? Will it continue into the regular season? There's a big question surrounding how far these severed partnerships. I, are I don't go. think it's that big a question. This is not the first time that CCTV has not shown games that mm-hmm. they, they, in my estimation, they will be back. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> you're very optimistic because I'm I, realistic. I, I'm not I, optimistic. And normally, you know, I'm the big cynic here, <laughs> but I'm being realistic. The reality of the business of the NBA in China is that, as Don Cornwall will say later, it ain't going away. The NBA in China ain't going away. They, a message was sent. You saw the behavior was changed. Steve Kerr, when given the opportunity to chime in, said, let me educate myself a little more before I I, I chime in. So the message was delivered by the Chinese government. Behavior has changed, right or wrong, whatever. But the business of basketball in China will continue. But I will say this and say it again. The NBA needs China. China doesn't necessarily need the NBA. Not I know. Sh- I'm you sure got, you're right there. Well, but you got, yes, I know you got 500 million NBA fans in China. 90%, 90% of revenue for the NBA comes in North America. I'm going to move along. There we go. I like it. It's going to be a fight. Your nostrils flared and everything. Did I flare? It, well, it was, man. Right. I saw a little flare. Man. I liked it. Uh, speaking of the NBA, some NBA teams are preparing for a salary cap drop. Yeah. I, all of this has people talking. So, again, if you are the salary cap guru of an NBA team, I guess it would be sort of uh, malpractice if you didn't at least prepare for some sort of diminution in revenue. But... These projections of 15%, as I just said, I mean, China revenue is far below 15%. And it's not as if it's a spigot and money just shuts off. You have contracts with many of these companies. It's not like, I'm not paying, we're done. I, I understand why they have to conservatively prepare for worst, worst, worst case scenario. 
But to me, that kind of diminution doesn't seem realistic. Yeah, and just so people understand exactly how this kind of the machinations here work, the, the NBA makes X amount of billion dollars, roughly seven, eight, seven, eight billion, something like that. Um, and then the salary cap is a function of how well the league is doing as a whole. A fixed percentage uh, of that. Revenue. Exactly. Yeah. So this year, the salary cap is 109 million per team. The expectation next year was that it was going to be 116. Now, suddenly, if there is money that Chinese companies, Chinese sponsors, Chinese broadcasters had committed to the NBA that may no longer come in, that makes league revenue down, that obviously means that the salary cap may go down as well. I agree with you, Scott. The idea of it going down 50% seems a little bit rash, although you know maybe it's smart business for them to prepare now. Prepare. Yeah. If it does go down, though, even in some capacity, let's say it goes down 5%, um, this is, you know, teams prepare... You know, they sign contracts, five-year, six-year deals because they, they know roughly what the salary and cap is going to be. Some teams lucky. are going to be on the short end of the you stick know, here, the, right? Yeah, there could be teams that then theoretically don't have the money to spend on free agents that they thought they yep. did. Uh, and some teams got very lucky when the new TV contract kicked in. It was all that awash in new money. They had more money to spend, and some players took advantage of that. You know, you have to spend a certain percentage of the cap, so you had what most would would say are mediocre players getting whopping contracts because you had to spend it somewhere. Yeah. So everything in basketball is determined by how much money comes in the maximum salary. That would be LeBron and, and those superstars, they, the maximum salary is a percentage of the cap. Yep. So everything is tied to that one big number, which is revenue, then the percentage, the cap, and then everything flows from there. Yeah, let's talk actually real quick about the other stakeholder here because it's not just teams that, that that lose out when the salary cap goes down. Players. Obviously, players, players lose out yeah. too, right? That There are often guys who will gamble on themselves on a short-term deal because they can sign a bigger, longer deal when the salary cap is larger in the future. Daryl Morey um, going to get the side-eye when teams come in. Yeah, I would also, yeah. Is there, <laughs> yeah. Is, there a, is there a chance that because of the specific nature of why the revenue went down, the revenue went down and therefore salary cap went down here, that the league could could special you know do something to keep the yes. cap artificially high. This, this is so the that players and teams don't. This get This is what left we've always here. learned throughout the years of all the league rules. You know, you know what the league rules are? They're malleable. <laughs> if if the owners decide this league rule ain't so good for us, and if the players are complaining, whatever, then guess what? Whoop. They can vote to change the rules. <laughs> they make the rules. So yes, if it is hugely problematic, like remember. When the big money came in on TV contract, the league wanted a smoothing mechanism. Mm. The league didn't want all that money coming in at once. And the players union said, no, 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 no. We'll take the cash now. No artificial mechanisms to mm. slow that money. Now let's get to this week's interview with PJT Partners banker Don Cornwell on the NBA's big trouble in China, the fundamentals of owning a sports franchise and the growing business of gambling. Don joined PJT after an 18-year career at Morgan Stanley, you've heard of them, where he focused on M&A in media, entertainment, sports, and gaming. He's worked on some of the largest, most complex sports and entertainment deals in the industry, including the sale of the Maple Leafs and the Buffalo Bills. Don, thank you so much for joining us on Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thanks for having me. We've been trying to set this up for how long? I know. It's been forever. I'm blaming you. It's all my bad. Uh, <laughs> it's all my bad. I'm so sorry. I'm like, oh, where's Don? Don's in London again. Don's in Vegas. Don's in who knows where. And I wanted to come in live. I didn't want to do it on the phone. That's I no better. To, we, we, love. You we, we love. We yeah. love. We love. But you're, you're here at a time, a bit of a tempest for the NBA. It's interesting Look, times. It, more than interesting. This is, this is really something. And everybody's asking me to make sense of it. 
Is it possible to make sense of this? No, I think, first of all, we all need to take a deep breath, right? It's going to take some time to see how this plays out. Uh, as I was saying earlier to you, you know, if the NBA was a public company, it would be a rough couple of days uh, in the markets. But the stock think, would be down what percent, you think? Give, uh, me, give me a guess. If it's you know, people over always overact. I think you would have lost about 10%, 5%, oh, 10%. Right. Okay. Um, but, but at the same time, there's some good news here, right? The fact that China cares so much, to me, that's really big deal. Like a lot of sports commissioners, sports league commissioners would love to have China care as much. Barr and Novi Williams must hate this because I tell the story all the time. David Stern, 7th Avenue, he and I walking down during the 1998 lockout. <laughs> you should have seen and, the look Oh, yeah. I'm glad I'm facing away from <laughs> underscore Williams right now. But I think the fans need to hear it. The people who haven't heard the story before, guy leaned out the window, you know, sort of Dave gave Dave the finger. Oh, I'm never going to watch another bleeping game, blah, blah, blah. And, and Stern just looked at me and said, that guy, I'm not worried about. Because he has so much passion, he'll lean out the window and yell at me. I know he'll be back. It's the person who says nothing that you have to fear. That's the good news you're talking absolutely. about. That's absolutely. And, it, and there's lots of fans there. The fact that this is a subject and that we're talking about on on you know CNN, MSNBC, everybody cares about it. That's good news in the long term for the NBA. I, w- I would argue that this is a little different than a guy leaning out the window and, and criticizing, right? This is the sponsors are stopping to televise games. They are removing their partnerships. This is a, a fan that cancels the season tickets, right? At this point, it's like a little different than just criticism. Yeah, but you wonder, is he canceling his season tickets or she of their own volition? Or is it just something as if with well, a little bit of a different setup I, that perhaps they've been told you need I, to cancel your season tickets? I think more, the most important thing is this is something, I don't think we've seen this. This is an international story. For the NBA, this is something where we realize, and the NBA has gotten a, a violent awakening, that if you're going to go global, something like this can happen. Yeah. yeah, let's be clear. This is a really rough time for the league. Like The league staff, they're, Adam, they're earning their money right now. But long term, it just shows that there's a lot of interest. I mean, you do is, a lot of deals. Like yes. You advise folks who buy and sell these sports teams. If you were doing the calculus on an NBA team, let's make one up that was for sale right now. You know what? Let's have some fun. When Tillman Fertitta bought the Rockets, sure. what is the calculus on NBA in general, and then that team in particular because of their popularity in China? Absolutely. So, so the way that I think about valuation uh, for any sports team, but in particular the NBA and the NFL as well, is I like to value the league, right? So I say if I'm buying one of these franchises, I'm buying effectively three percent of the league, and part of the, the economics of the league. Or all the media, all the media dollars that come in, all the sponsorship dollars that come in, but also the international growth, right? In every section of every marketing materials that I've put together, there's this little thing that says we've got all this international opportunity. The one league where it is really, really credible is the NBA. <laughs> I like the way you said that. The one I really mean it is right? the NBA. The NBA's got NBA China. I mean, they 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 set up NBA China in what 2000 and, 2008, I think. 2008, yeah. right? Give me a valuation of NBA China. Now. That's hard Ballpark. to know. I can't. Ballpark. I can't okay. tell you that. But but I can tell you that when you look at the multiples, there's a little bit of a premium because they've got this international opportunity. You know, that's a global growth business, right? You might look at today's economics and say, okay, well, the you know teams are break even. They may lose a little bit of money. Maybe they make a little bit of money. But I know long term, I've got a huge what we call TAM, right? My addressable market is massive. Today's news or this week's news, I don't think it long term hits the multiple, but it makes it sort of say to yourself, okay, they're going to have to get a little more sophisticated in how uh, they, they manage being an international business. I think there's, there's you know, politics and, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how far sports have come uh, that 
we care about this. I mean, think back to the 80s in the NBA when the NBA finals tape delay. Tape delay. Yeah. Now somebody sends out 60 character tweet and it's global news. You know what people found out about Larry Bird in the finals with 79? You know what they found out about Larry Bird in the college finals? That he was white. He was white. Yeah, Nobody, knew. Nobody knew. They'd never yeah. seen him play, yeah. which is unfathomable these days. So, so, so Go, going back real quick to to, to yeah. that point, how different is it if you are thinking about buying the Rockets, which are yeah. one yes. of the most popular teams, if not the most yes. popular team in China, or if you are the the Timberwolves, who are just probably in China, just another NBA team, <laughs> less yeah. popular, a little less popular. So, so, so going back to my original sort of framework, you've got the value of the league. Right, and the three percent of the league, and I'm getting that no matter what team I'm buying. If I'm buying the two wolves or the Rockets, I'm getting that three percent stake because mm-hmm. of, of, of revenue sharing. Then I've got the quote unquote local business, right, and that's where there's a big difference between the Rockets and the T wolves. And the Rockets have embedded in that quote unquote local business something that's not that local, which is all this interest from China. All right, and so as I'm looking through uh, the P and L, I've got to look at that line of of sponsorship dollars that's coming from China. And question, is that going to be there for the long haul? When we look, when we do these discounted cash flows, we look at cost of capital in order to discount back the cash flows. And the discount rate that we use on professional sports teams is usually quite low because it's low risk, right? Because we know that when you look through all the, the ecosystem of entertainment, sports has been the one thing that has persevered. And that's why they also take these long-term broadcast contracts. That's, right. that's the main that's right. driver right. of revenue. And you know you've got that locked up. I've got that locked up. If all of a sudden that's in question because of some things that are going on on a geopolitical basis, I, I've got to maybe raise my discount rate, right, which therefore lowers the value. Uh, I still don't think in long term this has any impact, just to be clear on the record. I, mm. I, I really do believe that in the long haul um, these teams are still quite valuable. I think the Rockets, though, we'll see how it plays out. It may be maybe Joe Sy uh, with the Brooklyn Nets is able to, 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 to take some of that value uh, in getting uh, you know, Chinese sponsorships when the market back, opens back up. Because it will. right? The fact that there's so many fans in China, when you walk through the streets of China and you see all these kids wearing LeBron jerseys and Kobe jerseys, there's going to be NBA in China. right? That, I don't think we all think that it's going away. But it's just a short-term blip. Don, do people come to you and say, these are prospective owners. I'd like to get involved in sports. I just don't know where. Where's the smart money? Where's the value? I mean, what's the question and answer? What do you need to know from them before you advise them? Look here and here's why. Yeah, it happens all the time. And I think the the number one thing that people don't understand is what the actual economics of owning a team are. They don't know whether these teams are profitable or not profitable. They may look at some publications out there and surmise that certain teams are profitable, but I think if anybody who's done the work knows that they're probably not fully accurate. So they want to understand for me, if I own this team, are there capital calls? What are the risks? Uh, if, if I own this team, is there any ability for me to ever pay dividends uh, or receive a dividend? That, that's actually becoming a much bigger uh, topic in, the, in, in more, more recent years, probably because we're in a low interest rate environment. Uh, I think people are very focused on what the league governance looks like, right? So if I spend that much money, how much say do I have, right? I'm, I'm spending $2 billion to own a team. I get one vote. What does that really mean, right? So, so therefore, am I entrusting my $2 billion to the league office and to a committee? Well, how does that work, right? So they want to understand because it's, it's unlike anything else in business, right? You, you, folks have gone through their business careers working generally with 
you know, a pretty basic set of, fa- uh, of, of, of governance features in companies, right? You've got a C-suite and you've got a board of directors. You've got public shareholders and you have private shareholders. You kind of know how those interact, no matter where you're doing it in the media business or the manufacturing business. When you get to sports, it's completely different. Yeah, the one thing I would always want any prospective owner, and uh, I wonder if they really understand it because it's not the core business they're probably used to. But years ago, I asked Dan Gilbert, what's it like being LeBron's boss? <laughs> and the answer, LeBron doesn't have a boss. Doesn't have a boss. That's, that's a, I'm not sure if I want to be involved in that yeah. business where it's my billions that's on right. the line, but I'm not the boss. I am that's the right. boss, but I'm not the boss. That's right. That's right. That, 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 that is, and I think that's a, a, a difficult thing for people, a different, difficult pill for people to swallow. Some owners, though, I think are really good at handling it, right? They, they kind of get to the point where they say, okay, I understand these are my partners, right? I'm not their boss. They're my, the players are my partners, and we share in that revenue. And let's all together try and grow the pie together and make a lot more money. And those are the ones who are more successful. And then when they're sitting at the bargaining table, when the, when the acrimony happens, it's like, we are my partner, but let's be clear, I'm the one with everything at risk, at least capital at risk. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's where that that's where things get difficult. And that's where you've also seen different leagues have had different success at the bargaining table uh, with their players. And, and I think part of that has to do with how much money they paid for the teams. Part of it has to do with the nature of the players and the high profile nature of a LeBron James or Steph Curry. Part of it has to do with popularity of the sport uh, and, and you know, what, what those players are able to do so, you know, from a societal perspective, it gives them lots of power, right? We've seen that with the NBA. Like, those guys have a lot of power, right? How much variability is there among the major U.S. leagues and a lot of those things you just talked about? If I want to own a sports team and I want my say to matter as much as possible, is there a league that structures itself that is – maybe more deferential for, for owners? I mean, how, how different is governance and some of those other factors, whether it's, you know, having to make capital calls, et cetera, are individual leagues specific and different than, than others? It's all nuanced. So so the, all the leagues have committee structures. Uh, and what we've seen over time is that they've evolved uh, based on who the commissioner is and who's mm-hmm. in the C-suite at the league, league office. The, the, the world of the NBA under David Stern is different than it has been under Adam. In what way for, for this perspective? D- David was a turnaround expert. When David came in, as we talked about, the league was in a very difficult place. Teams were losing money. Their broadcasts, nobody really cared about. There was a fan base, but they were, had a very difficult time uh, monetizing that fan base. David's job, and he did a, one of the best jobs ever, a wonderful job, was to turn that league around, and he did a great job doing it. And part of the way he had to do it was to almost tell people what was the right answer because they didn't really know what the right answer is because they owned these little small assets that had nothing to do with television broadcasting. And so he was the one who had to kind of lead them, lead, lead the horse to water. And he built this, uh, you know, wonderful, wonderful asset. Adam has come in in a time where, as we just talked about, players have a lot of power. The NBA is a huge platform and he's had to manage that platform. Uh, and he's had to manage international growth. He's had to deal with, uh, issues around race with the Clippers. He's had to handle all of these things, and he's done so, I think, wonderfully. Uh, and and I think if if you had to have one commissioner that was going to have to deal with what he's what's going on in China right now, Adam would be the guy. The NBA is talking about creating this sort of investment vehicle to uh, put capital to work across 
it's teams. It's it's almost like in a liquid market for LP yeah. stakes. And you think that doesn't work, or what would your suggestion be? Yeah, I think it's a wonderful idea. Uh, it's something that um, many of us have been talking about for years. Uh, that one of the biggest inefficiencies in 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 sport and uh, sport team ownership is the LP stake. Uh, and when you, for folks who don't know, that's limited partnership. Limited partnership you buy stake, it, it can sure. be you know 1%, less than 1%, sure. but with the valuations, some people have to cut it's some a lot serious of checks now. It's a lot of money. So, so what happens over time is as these, as these assets have increased in value, you've seen uh, you know, family members, third-generation owners all of a sudden look up and they've got you know, half a percent that's worth $10 million. And they don't have much in the way of other wealth, and so they want to actually monetize that. And there's no market to do it. It's inefficient. And so what ends up happening is many times they have to go sell it at a deep discount uh, or they can never sell it and they're unhappy. Uh, and that's not great for the league. And you know, with all markets, you want capital efficiency. Uh, it's one of the one of the things that in sports that's been, uh, you know, frankly, a problem. Getting more capital efficiency will be good for valuations, and I think it works well. You just have to make sure you structure it appropriately. We're talking to Don Cornwell, the partner at PJT Partners. What you said is ten thousand percent right. With the NBA, the players have a, a lot of power. What would you tell players in the NFL? Because there are many cases where they don't. Yeah, and I think the, the way in which they've tried to handle it with social media, um, whether it's kneeling or other, I think has been a great start. I think they've tried really hard. Uh, they don't have the same following uh, that they have in the NBA. Um, but I do give you know kudos to the players that have tried to use the platform that they do have uh, to try and affect change. I think it's difficult for them when it comes to collective bargaining um, because of just the nature of that sport where the players rotate in and rotate out, and there's so many of them. I think it's just structurally different than the NBA, but it seems to me, just outside looking in, the players are doing as much as they can do. Don, let's switch gears for a second. You you do a lot of team transaction deals. You also do a lot of work in the gambling space. PJT was involved in, for my money, the biggest gambling news of the year so far, the, the deal, you know, Flutter buying uh, Stars Group. There's been so much consolidation, I feel like, in yeah. the gambling world right now. Is that going to end? Is it going to continue? I mean, are we going to end up with two companies that are that are operational <laughs> one, in this One world? big company. Yeah, exactly. One monster. Mega evil gaming company. <laughs> Remember the Simpsons? That's right. you, you walked into mom and pop That's hardware, right. then the little sign by the door that said a division of Global Dominance Inc. <laughs> That's right. That's, right. That's, right. That's, That's what right. we got. That's right. That's right. Uh, no, look, I think the consolidation will continue. Uh, there's a lot of factors that are driving it. So uh, in Europe... We actually have a very difficult regulatory environment where um, you're seeing lots of rules being put in place uh, to to deal with problem gambling. Right, so there's things like restricting gambling late at night. So actually, not allowing people to gamble between the hours of, of midnight and six a.m. Oh no! What else would you do, Bar? Uh, I don't know what I'd do. Uh, uh, no. Can't bet the might, Hawaii game. You might have to move. You might have to move. <laughs> Uh, li limiting credit card, how many credit cards you can use. There are lots of things they're doing to, 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 to curb uh, gambling in, in, in Europe, and that's hurting growth. And so companies are looking at their prospects and saying, okay, I need to merge so I can get synergies and I can figure out a way to grow in a more uh, efficient way. They're then also looking at this U.S. opportunity, which we all know uh, is new and shiny and interesting and probably quite big, and saying it's going to be expensive to compete here. Uh, the customer acquisition costs are going to be high. Uh, we can see that there's lots of different parties looking at this opportunity and they're competing for it. Maybe if we consolidate, 
little bit, we can actually be more efficient. Uh, and so when you have those two forces coming together, you're seeing lots of activity. And so, yes, we, 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 we did advise Flutter on that deal, but we're still working. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm still, you know, this is a topic that's going to continue to move on and on and on. It's only been a year, too. I mean, it's a crazy thing since past, but I mean, I was thinking about it this morning. It's been, I guess, 16, 17 yeah. months. So if you're looking at people, product, and process, where do you spend much of your time? I'm assuming you you kind of delve into the process. Yes, a little bit of all. I mean, you know, process for sure. As a, as an M and A advisor, that's really what we do is process, and we help people value assets. We also help structure. I think what we've seen and what you saw in the Flutter transaction was that it was a, a very complex deal, especially here in the United States, because you had the Foxfit business that was owned by Stars Group, and you had the FanDuel business uh, that was controlled by Flutter, and lots of uh, minority owners in each and partners, and trying to figure out a way to kind of get that all together uh, is, is is quite complex. And so that's where we spend a lot of our time. However, because this is a new industry, I'm spending more time as a banker than I ever have educating people on the industry. So I'm getting lots of phone calls from media companies, technology companies, restaurant companies saying, this sports betting thing, I need to learn about it because it seems to me there's a lot of activity going on. Can you come in and, and spend an hour just walking through what the, the landscape is? So what does is? that look like? Does that look like a Buffalo Wild Wings calls you and says, you know, I want to have gaming at, at my counter? Absolutely. At my counter, at my, at my, at my table. Uh, it may not just be having gaming there because that may be more difficult, but how can I monetize it? So is there a sponsorship deal I can cut? I've got this database, right? Everybody has an app. Turns out Buffalo Wild Wings, Dave and & Buster's, and others have apps, and they've got customer information. Those people like to game. They like to be entertained. That that, that information is valuable to a gaming company. Is there a way for them to partner uh, and 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 actually reap some benefit from it? Top Golf just did something similar. Uh, the when you think about the the U.S. market, how big a deal is it for a global gambling company? I mean, it it's obviously we have more people here than the U.K. Right, but but when you think about the opportunity for let's say Flutter, right, which has operates in a number of different countries. Yeah. Um, how big a deal is actually the U.S. market? Massive. It's the biggest yeah. market. I mean, this, it's going to take some time because we, we, the way we're structured with fifty different states and different fifty different rules is going to take some take some time to roll out. Um, but but this is the market. I mean, put it again. There's always the China. Well, I was going to ask. That was going to be my but next let, question. Let, yeah. But let's put that to the side because that's complex and and that's going to take a long time to figure out. Uh, if ever in our lifetimes, I mean, I, I, I don't know when that's going to happen, but right now the U.S. by far uh, is is the most interesting market because we already know that people gamble here. It's not as if you're teaching people how to gamble. There's a massive illegal gambling market that's offshore, and all we're trying to do is bring people uh, into the light of day so we can regulate it, so we can tax it, uh, and make sure that the consumers are protected. Mm. And, and how successful do you think companies are have been at getting people? who were used to gambling either with their bookie at a bar or with some offshore site in, in the Caribbean. How successful have they been in, in the legal jurisdictions right now, do you think? More successful than I expected. Yeah. I, you know, I had always thought that people would stay offshore because it was anonymous and because they gave you free credit mm-hmm. uh, if, you're, if you're dealing with somebody that's offshore. When you come on, odds, right? because and, and, and the pricing is usually better. Yeah. What, I've, what we've seen is that people have come on shore um, because they like these brands. They trust the brands. Uh, and, and while um, I'm, you know, there still continues to be lots of offshore activity, uh, I think we've been very impressed with how good a job uh, all the various players in the market have been at getting uh, people to come uh, bet in the light of day. All right, let's end on the really important thing, Mr. Don Cornwell of PJT Partners. How old is your child now? Oh, man, he's uh, three months. 
three oh, months. Three months. So yeah. w- w- what's harder, sleeping through the night or convincing uh, some owner, would-be owner, that, yeah, you get everything that he wants oh, in this man. deal? Nah, sleeping through the night. But oh, no, he's, get, <laughs> he's getting better. He's getting better, little guy. He's uh, he's doing better. He's doing better. I mean, he had a little cold last week, so he's dealing with that. But no, he's, he's doing better. You, you take the old bulb and uh, suck out stuff. the stuff. All that stuff. All that stuff that I never imagined I'd ever be doing. But he's, he's and, but not only doing but it, it, enjoying enjoying doing. oh yeah i love changing diapers man. <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty good at it too we're talking with uh new daddy don cornwell congratulations thank by you, the way uh partner at pjt partners thank you very much for stopping by thanks for having us. me oh we enjoyed it it was mesmerizing just sitting down and listening i could listen for another half hour i thought you fell asleep there. well that would be <laughs> <laughs> go get the oval team bar <laughs> thank you don thanks guys the thing that always impressed me with, uh, first of all, was nice to meet with Don Cornwell. And it was great that, you know, he's a new daddy. I, I enjoy that very much. I always like watching people suffer in those first few months. Because <laughs> <laughs> you think you can do it. You think you're prepared. You think you know what you're doing. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh, nope. my Lord. <laughs> but it, the thing that, that caught my eye was that it, we were talking about the NFL and comparing this to uh, international drama that has taken place, uh, as we just talked about with the NBA in China, how that could carry over to the NBA, but uh, the NFL is king, and he and Don believes there's not really much to worry about there. Yeah, what what struck me is when we were talking about the Flutter and Stars deal, just all the stakeholders, how complex these transactions are now becoming because there are so many stakeholders. If you look ahead, just look at the Yankees deal now for Yes Network, Amazon, Sinclair. You're going to, I think that's the way we're going to continue to see all these deals now with all these stakeholders. It's just not going to be easy to get them done or to untangle them. So the financial instrumentation around sports transactions looking ahead to me is going to be very interesting. It's funny. I had the same takeaway, but specifically about Team M&A. I right? want to change I, my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Don did a very good job of explaining. A lot of people look at, you know, Steve Ballmer has $2 billion in, in the bank and wants to buy the Clippers. He buys the Clippers. I think a lot of people think it kind of works more along those lines. He did a good job of, of underlining, you know, these guys want to know about tax implications, you know, cash calls. Do I pay dividends? Can I pay dividends? Sophisticated What's the, buyers these days. What is yeah. the LP situation? How much say do I get in league governance? Are there committees that I can join? What's the what's the time to get on committees? All that. Um, yeah, I think he did a very good job of underlining how, how sophisticated these buyers are and how many questions there really are surrounding buying an ownership stake in You're going to drop a few billion. You better ask some questions. <laughs> <laughs> My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week. This is going to be a new one. This is a, you guys, a new one? You guys are going to set the number of the week. This is a new one. Oh, this is a new one. Because now that we're in the... uh, I feel like I'm on a game show every time we do this. I love this, man. (laughs) The American League Championship Series and the National League Championship Series. How many games Uh, are you going to ask? That's exactly what I'm going to ask. You want to start with the AL? Total games. Yankees, whoever, I say six. National League, I will say seven. So 13 games. Oh, I was going to go 14 so that the, the advertisers would be happy. But now I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to go <laughs> 10. Two, two blowouts. In the National League, who will win it? 
Oh man, uh, Cardinals. I take, I take the fifth. I'm not telling you. <laughs> Give you my games. I'm, I'm going to drink the fifth. Is what I'm going to do. I shouldn't have said. Why that. should today be any different? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, you've been <laughs> listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week for you at the same time. Plus online wherever you get your podcasts, and you can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams, and I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.